You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Join me with prayer this morning. Uh, uh, sh- share a quick story I shared when we prayed this morning is that at uh, jo- uh, Charles Spurgeon's uh, church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, when people would go there to receive a tour, uh, a lot of people thought they were going to be led into the sanctuary or see something like that. But the place he would start his tours was actually in the basement, which he called the furnace. And the furnace was the place that people prayed. And so he said, as he took people down there, anything that happens in the sanctuary is driven by the fuel that is going on down here. It's driven by the furnace. And so uh, we want to be a praying church. One of the things that we have every Sunday uh, at 920 is pre-service prayer. And so we believe it's, it's, it's in essence, Preaching the gospel and prayer are the most powerful things we can do. And so if, you, if you're ever free to join us, it's a great time to, to pray. We prayed for Ukraine this morning, and we're going to continue that prayer if you guys will join me right now. So, Father, we recognize that there are people right now in this world, in Ukraine, that are grieving, that are hurting, that are suffering the loss. The loss of children, the loss of parents, the loss of friends, the loss of teachers and educators. There are husbands and mothers and children that on this side of eternity will never unite again, God. And there's grief, and there's sorrow, and there's pain, and there's trouble. We recognize that you are a God who's present in our need, a God who's present in our trouble. We we recognize it. Even as we were praying this morning, God, you're not a God that stayed distant and disconnected in any way from your creation. You're the God that stepped into pain, Jesus, you know pain, you know sorrow, you know grief because you experience it in human flesh on this earth. And we praise you that you empathize with those that are mourning, those that are in sorrow. We pray for the missionaries that are on the ground there right now. God, that you would prepare them for such a time as this to minister, to be your hands and feet, but to share the good news of the gospel, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring love, to bring care in this time. Father, I long, as it was prayed for this morning, for when your kingdom will be ushered back in on this earth where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more death, there is no more evil. Instead, there's peace, there's joy, there's unity. And Father, I pray that as your bride, as the body of Christ, those are things that we would display in our lives, those are things we would fight for now with a heart of humility, love, and grace. We pray for those in our church family that are hurting and going through pain right now. We pray for those um, that are in a difficult situation, this season, circumstance of life, God, that you would bring comfort to them. Father, I pray uh, for those that are celebrating, that we as a church celebrate with the joys uh, that, that, that are in life. And we could be people that can actually genuinely celebrate the good times in our life because we're not people that are waiting for the hammer to drop or something bad to happen, God. But instead, we know that we serve a good God. We love you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our series titled Live. And the reason the series is titled Live is because as a pastor, I want to see the men and women of our church family live and be fully alive and not just survive in life, but to actually thrive. And so we, we, we want to see that. We want to see people flourish. And we believe that starts ultimately with a gospel identity. And as we go through and, and just kind of unpack quickly what we've uh, looked at in the Beatitudes, we can see so far that, that we've gone through this. Uh, if you uh, would start with me, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, this is Jesus speaking, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And today we look at verse 7, which is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We've looked at different words for this word blessed. We've used happy, uh, where uh, someone in a couple weeks is getting ready to use the word joyful. I think we've used uh, fortunate, flourishing. There's many words that, that we can use to get at what Jesus is trying to convey here. Today, we're going to use free because we can actually go back and apply free to every one of these, but free are the poor in spirit because you're truly free when you can admit that there's nothing in and of yourself you can do to save yourself. And, and, and then if you look at verse four, Free are those who mourn, for they shall become the, the, the truly free who, who can repent of their sins that are no longer in bondage to their sin but instead that are mourning it are actually people that are free. They're no longer uh, enslaved or in bondage. Free are the meek because they don't have to prove themselves through this really big personality or trying to be super spiritual or something like that. They're free. And as Ronnie preached last week, we can say free are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're free because you're no longer hungering and thirsting for all the monetary things of this world. Instead, you're hungering and, and thirsting for the righteousness that Christ fully and freely provides. And today we can say, free are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So our main point today is this, is that there's freedom in forgiveness and there's freedom in mercy. And I would say a tremendous amount of freedom and forgiveness and mercy. In fact, I would say this, and I hope this carries some weight because I don't know if I've ever made this statement before. I think today has the power as we talk about free, uh, as we talk about forgiveness and as we talk about mercy to actually have something in this that, that, that can bring more healing to people's souls than just about anything else. That hearing it and hearing the forgiveness that we've been given and offered and received in Christ, but also what offering forgiveness to others does, I believe has the power to heal our souls and heal our wounds. And so I believe today, and so I would encourage you to listen and listen intently, but do this, please. Listen for yourself. Because oftentimes, we'll, we'll, I do this too. We read books or we listen to sermons. We go, man, that would be really good for someone else. But I'm asking you today to listen for yourself because I believe that there's healing through forgiveness and there's healing through mercy. In fact, this is something that, that, that Hollywood has picked up on, that Disney's picked up on. Last, uh, Saturday nights is always our family movie night. So every Saturday night in the Reeves house, we have family movie night, which means you get kind of like the dessert of your choice, and then we watch a movie. Last night, we watched The New Beauty and the Beast, okay? It's nowhere near as good as the first one. I'm willing to argue that with anyone. So, But there's this line in it that I was like, man, that is so true. Uh, true, is she's having this conversation, Belle is, with the beast. And the beast is more or less like, you know, could you ever be happy with someone like me? Or it's, it, 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 in a sense, it's crazy to think you could ever be happy with someone like me. And, and, uh, and she goes, well, not necessarily. And he goes, whoa, so you could be truly happy here? And she says this, she goes, is anyone truly happy who isn't free? Because if you know the story, she was his prisoner. But she's on to something. Can you truly be happy if you're not free? And is there true freedom in life without forgiveness, both of what we've received and what we are able to offer? Our culture, if we're willing to be honest, is not good at mercy. And it's not good at forgiveness, which is why the cancel culture is so massive right now. 
that we can cancel people left and right, which I believe the Sermon on the Mount pushes against. It's reversing all that. And it's like, no, 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 as Christians, we're not people that go around canceling each other. In fact, our Bible should not exist past chapter three of Genesis. In fact, everyone should be canceled if God was just, and he would be fully just in his actions to do that. We, should, we, we would all be canceled. But in fact, God hasn't done that. And so I believe that what Jesus is doing is reversing even what we see is so popular in our culture today to have this cancel culture. Let me give our outline. The freedom of forgiveness is the main point. What we're going to look at today in three different sections is this. Canceled, forgiven, and free. Okay? <clears throat> canceled, forgiven, and free. So we're going to look at where I want us to see is this. It's forgiveness and mercy is talked about right here. In, in, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But this is not something that's just in the Sermon on the Mount right here. This is something, if we're able to pull back, first, we should read the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, as we should read our Bible as a whole. We should read books as a whole. But if we read it as a whole, you can see this theme runs throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But as we pull back out of that, we can see that Paul had the same view of forgiveness. And, and, and we can even go all the way back to Genesis to see forgiveness there. And even what's happening is a reversal of Genesis, which I'll get to later. But I want us to do that. I want us to look at some scripture to see that this is something that Jesus is shaping as a whole, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of patience, this idea of mercy. So Matthew 5, you, you don't have to turn here with me. If, if you want to quickly scroll down, because some of these are in the Sermon on the Mount, you can. But let's read what scripture at large and even the Sermon on the Mount has to say about forgiveness and has to say about mercy. Matthew 5, 21 through 26 says this. Listen closely to this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Matthew 5 now, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is so hard. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Jesus lays it out real clear here. But if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Whoa. What does Paul have to say? Ephesians 4, 32 says this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He says in Colossians 3, 13, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 1 Corinthians 13, classic, classic reading for, for weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
it keeps no record of wrongs. That's the, that, that's the biblical picture of love. It keeps no record of wrongs. These are just a few of uh, verses of what our Bible has to say collectively as, uh, about the topic of mercy and forgiveness. But today I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 18. It's very difficult sometimes when we're going through the Beatitudes and we have one short verse to unpack all that's there. And so thankfully we have scriptures as a whole that can speak to these things as well. So if you would turn with me to Matthew 18 in your Bibles, we're going to camp out here for just a minute. Matthew 18, 21. The problem as we approach this subject, the problem with mercy, the problem with patience, the problem with forgiveness is this, is we are very, very quick to see others' need for it and very, very slow to see our need for it. And if, even when we've done the same thing, we can become very self-righteous to be like, I can't believe you just did that, though minutes before or days before, we were doing the very same thing, right? Uh, so recently, just a quick story, uh, my wife and I and our three children were at Yolanda Elementary, which is where our two of our daughters go to school. And so they were out there on the swings and out on the swing set like playing. And there were three high school boys there, okay? And the three high school boys were playing in the swing set that was for disabled kids. And it was really bothering me and it was bothering my wife. She's like, it's really bothering me. It's for disabled kids. The reason why it bothers us is because our daughter, Brooks, knows the girl that uses that swing at school, and it's like, that's her buddy, right? So now it bothers us even more. It's more personal, okay? So you got these three kids doing this, and so there's a Willamette Lane person that works there, and I'm like, hey, uh, are they supposed to be on the swing? You know, set it in front of them like that, like that, and he pulls out his badge. He's like, I work for Willamette Lane, you know? And he's like, you're not supposed to be on the swings like that, and so they start making fun of him, right? Now, now I'm not in a good spot, okay? So I tell my wife, I'm like, I can't, I can't. So she walks this way and I walk that way. And I go over and, I, and, and, and I'm like, hey, I'm not showing you a badge. I'm telling you to get off the swing. And, and, Tom, you're like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to share the gospel with them. I wanted to know if they had said the sinner's prayer yet because it was like time to meet their maker, you know? And I was just like, I'm done, I'm done. And I was like, and then they started to say something back. I'm like, I'm like, make a move. You know, that's what I'm like. I'm like, please make a move. I'm doing this to high school kids. <laughs> Do you know the irony of this is I was that disrespectful punk years ago that was saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. I was the guy that was robbing the pizza men. I was a kid that had been arrested countless times and all of those things, but how quickly I can move towards someone with a lack of grace, a lack of mercy, a lack of forgiveness, and a lack of patience, right? Another story that, that displays this. When my wife and I were dating, she would sit next to me in, in church, and she would oftentimes put her coffee cup down in my seat during worship, right? So we're standing. Then when I sat down, sat in her coffee. This happened multiple times. I said, I'm not gonna get nice faces for this. I said, what part of you thought that would make any sense? <laughs> That's what I said, it wasn't nice. A few weeks ago, we're driving to the airport. She's got her new jacket on and her new sneakers on, right? That she got for Christmas. I like to do this thing that I think is funny. When we're backing out, I hit the side of the thing and I hit the brake so it sounds like we hit someone, right? I did that on the way to the airport and her yogurt, her coffee and like her oatmeal and everything just went all over her and she was bawling, right? She was so sad and so upset. 
the reason I say this is in that moment, I'm like, you need to have mercy with me. Like, you need to have patience, you know? And so we're very quick to be like, give me mercy, give me patience, give me grace. But then we're very slow when we're the offended party to be like, I don't think so. The story that we're getting ready to look at, the parable, is, is, is unpacking that for us. Because we're, 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 we're going to work through this. Canceled, forgiven, and free. All right, Matthew 18, 21. This is a parable. Started by a question that Peter said. Peter said, came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and, 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 and I forgive him? Great, great question, Peter. As many as seven times, Peter is being holy here, okay? There's a uh, rabbinic tradition that you forgive people three times, but on the fourth time, you don't have to, okay? So, so Peter's spent enough time around Jesus to go, hey, I get your forgiving man, and so I'm thinking maybe like seven, right? And, and look at what Jesus says, which we're gonna come back to this at the end of the sermon. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, right? Jesus is like, a lot. <laughs> all right, so Jesus goes on. Greatest story of, storyteller of all time tells this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, okay? Let me pause right there. 10,000 talents. It's really difficult to get an exact, this is what this was then, this is what this is now, but, but roughly scholars would say it's about two lifetimes worth of work, okay? Multiple lifetimes, I should say, okay? 200 years <laughs> worth of work, 200 years, verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. This is what happens back then. When you don't have much, because our, our world operates the same, right? You go to collections, you file bankruptcy, you sell your car, you do whatever you can to pay stuff back. People, sadly enough, were seen as property. And so your people were sold into slavery as well. They were thrown in prison and everyone's working off the debt. So that's what should happen because of what he owns. So we're, we're not told what he did with the money. I, I, don't, I don't know how you, how you basically uh, blow away 200 years worth of work or that much money, but it is an astronomical, I mean, it's a massive amount of money that, that, that he squandered, that he wasted. I don't know what he did with it, if he was reckless, if he stole it, whatever he did, it was a lot, a massive amount of debt, okay? Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, have patience with me. A better translation for the word that's used here is, is long-suffering. He's, he, he's appealing to, to the king, please be long-suffering with me, and I will pay you everything. He can't do it. That's the truth. He can't pay back what he's accrued in this lifetime, much less the next lifetime, okay? Verse 27, and out of pity for him. That word pity, compassion, is the same word that the prodigal son story uses in Luke chapter 15. When the father ran out to embrace his son, he had this gut-wrenching compassion and pity for him. So the king has pity on him. The master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So he, uh, he, he, whatever he did, he squandered a bunch of money. He had this massive amount of debt. And the master was like, hey, you and your family and everyone's going to have to be thrown in prison. You're going to have to pay this off. And he pleads with the king, and he says, please have pity on me. I will pay it back, which he's actually not able to do. And then the master has pity on him, and he cancels his debt. He absorbs his debt. He forgives him his debt, this massive debt, multiple lifetimes of debt that stood against him. He says, I'm going to cancel it. You have to understand, it didn't just go away. It was absorbed. 
The debt wasn't just like cleared or thrown out. Someone had to endure that debt and the master was the one who canceled it, who absorbed it, who endured the hurt. And that's the difficult thing about forgiveness. And so I, I wanna pause here because I, I, I wanna say this, that as we talk about forgiveness today, I know there are people in this room and I know there are people listening that have gone through horrific things in their life. And when we talk about forgiveness, that's really, really, really difficult. So please hang in there with me until the end. Please hang in there with me. What he's doing though, and what the master's doing is canceling this exorbitant amount of debt and, and, and setting him free. And the truth is, which is really hard for us, the, uh, the, the amount that we know that our debt has been paid, that it's been canceled, that it's been forgiven, will be the amount that we extend it to other people. And so our unwillingness to forgive people, our unwillingness to be patient, our unwillingness to extend mercy is because oftentimes we don't believe that the debt that has been paid for us through and in Christ is massive. So our ability and our willingness to forgive something and extend mercy is very small because we believe our debt is small. And I would say forgiveness leads to freedom, but forgiveness is costly and it's painful. You see the cost here. You see the cost here. The king had to pay for this. He had to absorb it. He had to absorb the hurt. He had to cancel this payment. The reason we have problems oftentimes in our marriages and in our relationships and why it's so hard for us to forgive. Hey, trust me, I get it. Married man. This week on Thursday, I write my sermons on Thursday and I was riding, I was driving to the office and I was angry at my wife because we got in an argument, okay? And so that morning we were arguing and I was so confident I was right, right? And I'm like, I have a right to be angry right now. Like, she'll come around, you know? There's an aspect of it where we're like, it feels good to be angry and, 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 and to feel that way. The truth is every time we do that, we are like Simon in the story when Jesus uh, when the woman comes in and washes Jesus's feet and Simon the Pharisee is like, ooh, gross. Do you know who this woman is? She is a great sinner. And Jesus goes on to explain, those are forgiven much, love much. And the truth is, and why our relationships, we have a hard time with this extending forgiveness, extending mercy and extending patience is because we don't understand the magnitude of how much we've been forgiven by a holy God. And so we're, we're, we're very slow to offer what's been offered us. We are very slow to cancel someone else's debt because we don't understand how much the debt that has been canceled for us and that's been absorbed by Christ on the cross. Let's keep reading the story because you might wonder right now, maybe this guy's that kind of guy where he gets it. This is, this is massive. He really gets it. He understands it. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's four months pay. Okay. Four months pay. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Doesn't this posture look familiar? Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place or what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa, that's more personal. Not forgive him with your mind, not, not know the Greek word for forgiveness, not philosophically be able to explain what forgiveness is, but what Christ is calling us to do is to be able to forgive people from the depths of our hearts where we've been most wounded. We see here this servant didn't actually understand the amount of his debt that had been canceled. Maybe he knew it, maybe he could spit facts about it, but had his heart really received how massive his debt was and, and the debt that was absorbed and canceled for him? No. Why? Because when, when he goes out, this is how he responds to someone else who, who, who owes him just a fragment of what he owed. And so what you actually see is someone who doesn't understand what it is to have their debt canceled, what it is to have the, uh, the, the, that absorbed for them. And again, the, the truth is a lot of our problems come from us having a very low view of what Christ has done and paid for us, which is why we, we, we need to look at forgiveness and what forgiveness actually is because we see it here in this parable, okay? Here's what forgiveness is. It's absorbing hurt. Forgiveness is absorbing hurt without retaliation. So if you've truly forgiven someone and, and if you're truly walking in forgiveness, it means that you are going to have to pay the cost down like this king did. It doesn't mean that you make them pay the cost down, that you make them feel the hurt they've caused, that you retaliate, that, 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 that you go after them. It means that someone is going to have to absorb the hurt and the pain through canceling the debt. And it will either be you or it will be the offender. Here's the problem. Oftentimes we make the offender feel that and it twists our souls and it twists and hardens our hearts. Forgiveness is something that scripture talks about and here's the really amazing thing. As we look at the Old Testament law, a lot of people are like, oh, it just seems like a lot of restrictions and stuff. Like why was Jesus like saying all this? So much of the Old Testament law was so practical. Don't eat food this way because you'll actually get sick. It's a good God saying, don't do this. And now the creator steps in. He's saying, hey, forgive those who hurt you. And here's the reason why. If not, your soul will become twisted and your heart will become hard. And you actually won't become free. These things, the resentment, the bitterness and all that will control you. It will consume you. And you won't actually experience flourishing and freedom and joy and peace and love. That's why the author of Hebrews says this in 12:15 he says see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root look at that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many bitterness and resentment and anger and all those things are a root that have to be dealt with because they will cause all sorts of problems including this health problems when i say our creator is very practical a lot of health problems come from just being angry with people when we are angry and bitter and resentful our bodies produce all sorts of hormones, stress hormones like adrenaline, but also cortisol, which also can make people have eating disorders. You can gain weight from it, or you can have eating disorders from it to where you don't eat at all. You can have higher blood pressure. You can have a weaker immune system. All of this is coming from a lack of forgiveness. When Jesus is talking about forgiveness and freedom, he's saying, literally, it's like for your own body's health, for your soul, for your physical bodies, for everything, for, uh, uh, for forgiveness produces freedom. But it's so costly because someone's going to have to absorb the hurt. And, and, and here's, here's the other thing. Sometimes we make people absorb the hurt by giving them a cold shoulder, by not making eye contact with them, by talking about them to someone else is another way that we can make someone absorb the hurt that they've caused us. 
Versus when we offer forgiveness, what we do is we absorb the hurt they've caused us. And, and therefore, when the opportunity comes up to talk poorly about them, we don't do it. Whenever we see them, we can move toward them with warmth and not coldness because we're not making them pay through our emotional actions and our displeasure of them. Instead, we're absorbing the hurt. You guys know how hard, that is hard. But also, I'll speak from my own personal story. From someone who suffered so much harm from the hands of my father in every way and from his mouth, I would say that I watched anger and bitterness and resentment, which led to so much insecurities grow inside of my life. I didn't know who to be me in Christ. I didn't know what it even looked like to pursue Christ. I was so controlled by my father that his methodologies, his parenting, everything, I just wanted to do the opposite thing from him because I did not want to be like him. I wasn't pursuing Jesus, growing in his security. In that way, I was just saying, I, I don't want to be anything like you. The same evil that my father had was growing inside of me. It just looked different through anger and resentment and bitterness and all of that. One day, Last week in my dad's life, some of you guys are familiar with this, I got to have a conversation with my dad where I got to talk with him and share with him about the pain and all of that. I was never met with an I'm sorry or anything like that. I wasn't met with even much eye contact. But for the first time in my life, I looked at my dad and I truly meant it. I said, I forgive you. And up until that point, I was on high, high, I don't know what you would call it, sleeping medication. I mean, Ambien wasn't working for me. From that night forward, I have never taken prescription, prescription sleeping medication since. There is something deeply and radically connected to what resentment, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, and a lack of mercy does to our soul. Really. But forgiveness is costly. It's painful to absorb the hurt that someone caused you without retaliation. Because honestly, retaliation feels good for a moment. But what it'll do is it'll warp your soul in time. It'll harden you. It'll change you and not for the good. It definitely will not free you. And I know it from personal experience, but also from the creator pleading with us to forgive. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story of when he was a pastor of a small church. And again, they had vacation Bible school. And he went over to talk to the dad across the street and said, hey, I, you're, you, we've, we've heard that your kids would like to come. Can we make this possible? We'll provide transportation, do everything like that. You know, you don't have to worry about anything. And, and the father responded with just anger. He's like, no. Tim Keller says, he's like, you are not going to push that stuff down my kid's throat. My father did that. And he pushed religion and all that down the throats of my kids. He could not see the way that his anger and bitterness and resentment was still controlling him. He wasn't free. He wasn't thinking about loving his kids, what's best for his kids, what his kids might enjoy. He was just thinking about this. Forgiveness is costly. We have a debt that's canceled. We have forgiveness that's costly, which leads to this freedom. Let me give this real quick before I move on. I'm going to weave application in now. I rarely hear people confessing their sin of anger or resentment or bitterness. Let's be a community that does that, not in a gossiping sort of way, but just being real and being like, I got this. It's there. I don't know what to do with it. I, I know what the word says to do with it, but I'm hurt and I'm hurting and I've been hurt badly. And I want to hang on to anger. I want to hang on to bitterness and I want to hang on, on to resentment. Will you please pray with me? Will you pray for me? We need to be a community that does that. In fact, Jesus 
Jesus' application that he gives, when someone has wronged you and someone has hurt you, is to pray for them. There is something that happens in your soul when you can pray for those who have hurt you. And this is something that I've grown to, or, or that I've learned to do as a pastor. When people hurt you, to even pray their names out loud. I will even, I have a, uh, I would hate for you guys to ever go and open it up. <laughs> but I have a box in my office where I've written down names of people where I've harbored anger and bitterness and resentment for, and like I've prayed for them. And I'm like, Jesus is too much for me to hold. And so I set it in there as like a visual for me. There's something powerful about praying for those who have hurt us. And here's the thing. I think one way you can tell if you've forgiven someone, is how you pray for them. Do you pray just, just that they would meet the wrath of their creator? Or do you pray that God would spare and save them just like he did you? Would you pray that God would extend the same, extend the same mercy for them as God has extended to you? Let me say this before we move on, actually. I want to say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciliation or trust because I'm not saying you have to blindly go and give all of your trust to someone or even be reconciled to someone. In fact, someone who's hurt you might not even be alive anymore, okay? It's also not taking legal action. Make sure I'm saying that right. You can take legal action and still forgive, uh, and still forgive someone. And so if you are a man or a woman who has been hurt, abused by someone in any way, I would highly encourage you to take legal action and you can still offer forgiveness through that. It's also not minimizing hurt that's been caused to you. That's not forgiveness. Just act like it never happened. So I'm not saying minimize this. I'm saying with trusted people, pastors, mentors, peers, talk through this stuff. Let's bring it home. Canceled, forgiven, and freed. Okay? How do we have freedom? Let's go back to Matthew 5. Quickly look at this verse again. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. All right. We understand even through the parable we just told that Jesus uses that word synonymously. With even forgiveness, we see patience. So free are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Since we've received so much mercy, so much grace, so much forgiveness, and so much love, we're free to give it. We don't have to live in bondage to unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. Like, I want to see people joyful. I want to see people happy. I want to see people alive. I want to see people free. And you're not going to have that if your soul is bound up with resentment, bitterness, anger, and frustration. I promise. Jesus promises. But then what happens? All of a sudden we go, I'm not really good at this forgiveness thing. <laughs> I'm not really good at this mercy thing. I'm not really good at this patience thing, right? Which that alone casts us on to God's grace to say, oh my goodness, I am really miserable at this. I need mercy for my lack of mercy. I need forgiveness for my lack of forgiveness. I need grace for my lack of grace. Which leads us to the cross. We're the only innocent man in all of human history hung on a cross who, 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 who could have said, Father, blast them. Give them what they deserve. But instead, his words that he cried out from the cross were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you know that the, that the three final words from Jesus are this? Who knows them? It is finished. Greek, teleo, teleo, teleo. Paid, paid, paid. There is not $5 left. There is not 5% left. The cost of our debt and sin against the holy God has been paid, paid, paid. It is finished. Uses the same Greek words. Teleo, teleo, teleo. Paid, paid, paid. Full, full, full. Canceled, canceled, canceled. Our debt against the holy God was paid for Jesus when he made that declaration in full. There wasn't a sliver left. 
There wasn't an ounce left. There wasn't anything left. It was paid. Your debt was canceled in full. And imagine this, the, the hurt that someone has caused you, you know how bad that hurts to absorb that, right? Imagine your lifetime of hurt that has that's been caused to your creator. Jesus absorbed all of that hurt and said, no, 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 don't get them. Pour your wrath right here. Now imagine a lifetime of hurt for all of human history. That's what Christ was enduring on the cross, a pain we will never know. I know what it is to be hurt by someone, and it is hard. It is painful. But I do know that on the cross, what I see is a man suffering all the hurt that I've caused him for me and not giving me what I deserve. In fact, if you go back to the parable, I love this. Peter asked Jesus, seven times? And Jesus is like, no, that's not it. He says this, not seven times, but 77 times. Let's go back to the beginning of our Bible, Genesis 4. The fall happens, humanity falls apart, and then there's these brothers named Cain and Abel. Cain gets jealous of his brother, he murders him, right? And, and, and then he has this conversation with God, and, and he's worried about his life, and, and God says, no, 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 if anyone hurts you or harms you, in a sense, my wrath will come on them sevenfold, right? And, and, then, and then we fast forward to this guy named Lamech, who thinks he's like some sort of player. He has multiple wives, okay? And he says this to his wives, 4, 23 through 24, Adah and Zalah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. I mean, that's gross. Uh, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Every Jewish listener who reads Matthew's gospel to a Jewish audience would have known what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. Remember Lamech? He talks about his revenge being 77-fold. I'm here, the creator reversing all of that. It's not how I operate. What I offer through my infinite sacrifice is abundant and rich forgiveness and mercy without limits. We sang the song, his mercy is more. Here, here's what I would say. You need to know what you've been forgiven for because if you don't believe that you are forgiven, then what you will not believe is that you're lovable because it's hard to believe you are lovable if you're not forgivable. So what I'm telling you is that Christ offers the fullness of his forgiveness to you and he makes you beautiful, righteous, complete, and holy. He doesn't just give you a clean slate and remove it because we would dirty that again. What he does is he comes in and fully supplies all of his beauty, his majesty, his perfection, and his righteousness, and he fills that up. And then he gives you a treasure account with an infinite cost you can't possibly over sin. You, in, in your finite state, in your finite sin, can't, ex, uh, can't extend past or out sin an infinite God's sacrifice. The God-man was infinite. The price he paid was infinite. The forgiveness, the mercy, the grace, the love he has is infinite. When scripture talks about God, it says that he is rich in mercy. And so what I would do is, is what Dane Orland says. I would encourage you to have some gospel defiance. Right now, your emotions might be telling you you're unforgivable. Your, your, your emotions might be telling you this. I would say bring and challenge those emotions with the objective word of God that declares that it is finished, that you are forgiven, that you are loved. Don't be skeptical to God. Be skeptical to your emotions and, 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 and read and receive what Christ has and what he says and what he, what he declares for you. I'll end with this story. Arnold Palmer, maybe if you guys feel familiar with him, was a famous golfer. He went and played in Saudi Arabia. And the king of Saudi Arabia at the time, um, after he played, was like, hey, 
I'm, I'm very impressed by you. I would like to give you a gift. And Ar Arnold Palmer was like, no, I don't want a gift. It was just an honor to play here. The king was offended by this because the king wanted to give him a gift. And, and so he came back and said, you know what? I'll take a club. It'd be great for my memorabilia and whatnot. So I'll have a club. The next morning he woke up to a title, to a club, a golf club of 36 holes filled with trees, lakes, and everything like that. The king literally gave him an entire country club. I share that story to say this, be careful when we have a low view of God's grace. Instead, can we honor and glorify God by trusting in the mercy and forgiveness and grace and love that Christ has for us? That's far more abundant, that's far more rich, that's far more plentiful than anything we could ever imagine. How dare us go to the king and think that his forgiveness, his mercy, and all that is slim, that it's meek, that it's meager. No, it's rich. And I believe we glorify and honor God when we trust the richness of his mercy. Let me end with saying this. Forgiveness won't always be a one-time thing for you because it's not for me. You are going to have to recircle possibly and re-forgive people that have hurt you. You're going to have to continue to absorb that hurt. And you can do that through the power of the spirit, which also is the same spirit that empowers you to see the depths of your own mercy and forgiveness and grace that's been extended to you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the freedom that is in forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen.